I'm Michael Hempel. I'm the canon presenter, so I'm a member of the chapter, which is the governing body. And the chapter, of course, oversees all of the work of the cathedral, including, of course, the work of St Paul's Institute. Um, my name's Robert Gordon. I am the current manager of St Paul's Institute. And um, let me just start, for those of you who haven't read the report, um, we released a report today which was basically based on a survey conducted by Comres, a market research company uh, that was conducted in the first two weeks of September. And we surveyed 515 professionals working in the financial sector, covering all variety of jobs within the financial sector. And the responses to that survey, we hope people will find interesting. We hope people will respond to it, and they will add to the current dialogues and conversations that are going around at the moment. Uh, some of the more interesting ones, 75% of respondents agreed that there is too great a gap between rich and poor in this country. 58% um, of them thought that companies should be investing directly in deprived communities. And then we had uh, things that, such as over 70% think that bonuses should definitely only relate to long-term over short-term performance. And we also, the report was conducted within the wider context of the 25th anniversary of the financial big bang deregulation in this country. And so we asked them quite a few questions about that. And some of the responses are quite uh, interesting and rather telling in that more than two-thirds, uh, just under 70%, did not actually know that the financial Big Bang occurred in 1986. And also many of them, uh, just under 80% actually, and just 14% correctly indicated that the motto of the London Stock Exchange is my word is my bond. And amongst all of this, we have about 83, 84% of respondents who feel, agree or agree strongly, that their companies maintain very high ethical standards. So I'd like to pass over, having given just an overview of the data, to Bishop Peter Selby, who contributed by providing a response to this data for our report. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm Peter Selby. I used to be the Bishop of Worcester and, and uh, was then the Bishop to Prisons, and I now uh, preside over the National Council for Independent Monitoring Boards, which monitor human rights in prisons and places of custody. Um, I've written about debt, and because of that, I think, and, and have done a fair bit of work on, on the, the ethics of, of money, and was vice chair of the Ethical Invest Investment Advisory Group of the Church of England, I was asked to write a series of articles for the St Paul's Institute website. I'd, I'd done three of them when I was then asked if I would make the next two a response to this report. And so I was sent the survey re results. And... Uh, if, I, if I were to say what, for me, is the most striking thing about the, those responses, it's two very significant contradictions that our friends, neighbours, colleagues in the finance sector seem to me to live with. Whether happily or not, I don't know. But, but the contradictions they live with are, first of all, that they think that they're overpaid for what they do, uh, but secondly, that they do the job mainly because of the money that it gives them. So that's a, a sort of a, people living with something that they think isn't really right, but that they're trapped in or want to keep to. That's one uh, contradiction. And the second striking contradiction, given the anniversary that this survey was being done on, is that it was a very high proportion who thought that the, um, the, the big bang, the deregulation of, of finan the financial world, has caused a decline in ethical standards. 
But at the same time, a large majority think that, that um, the deregulation is necessary and a good thing. So that means that people are supporting something that with another part of themselves they think uh, is wrong, or at least ethically uh, not sound. Now, I personally was very glad to be writing this um, for the Institute because it seems to me to prescribe a kind of agenda of conversation um, between the church and, uh, and the people who uh, are in the financial sector um, in a, start trying to see what these con contradictions add up to and whether they reflect contradictions that are widely held in society at large. So that's all I'll say for the moment, but that's, that's really why I think this is a very exciting moment. And of course I'm glad that it's given added urgency and strength and force by people who are sleeping nights in the cold in order to make the point, uh, because I think it's a very similar point. They, they are, the people who answered the question are saying that there's a decline in ethical standards because of deregulation. Now, what I want to know now, having, having had that yes or no kind of answer, what I want to know now is, well, what do you really mean by ethical standards? In other words, I have your question uh, as the next stage in what I think is a significant conversation we've got to have and, and press quite hard because clearly the general public feels behind that conversation too. Well, it is saying that people in the financial sector, first of all, think ethics are important. Secondly, think uh, that their companies are ethical. Thirdly, think that, they, um, that, uh, that, that, that ethics are, on the whole, not badly affected by deregulation, which they, on the other hand, also need. So I think we now go to them and say, well, what is this ethics that you think uh, your, is so important? And I think as well that by aiming the spotlight on a series of questions, and a, quite a bright spotlight, as Bishop Peter has said, the camp has, as it were, switched those lights on far brighter than they might otherwise have done. One is then in, in a position to be able to start demanding answers, so that the answers are then part of that action, which is extremely important to the camp. The camp doesn't just want debates. It also wants to see the debates leading to action of some sort, so questions demand answers leading to action. What do you mean by guidance or voice? And it might be interesting now to say, well, is there a contribution you do want making? Because I have a hunch that it's more about listening and more about inserting proper and sharp questions into that area of contradiction that I've been talking about so that people start to be able to voice the disquiets which I think this, sh this report shows are around. Um, whether they're happy or not, I think, is, is a conversation to have. What I strongly suspect and is, I mean, having had some of these conversations in the past, I would say, uh, what I strongly suspect is that people um, are happy privately to reveal their doubts and then on Monday morning when they have to go to work, um, then it gets a bit more difficult. And, and I think that I might also ask the, make the same point I made a moment ago in relation to the church, that it actually also shines a spotlight on questions for the church 
about its ability to engage with uh, different sections of society. And those questions also demand answers. And one of the things which we're being asked about is, uh, do you not think that um, the camp outside St Paul's provides opportunities for the church? And so one of the answers to the questions that are being highlighted by why is nobody interested in what the church is saying? One of the answers might be, well, here's an opportunity to reset the agenda in such a way that people might be very keen to listen to what the church thinks. And i just add to that, I think that the best way to reset that opportunity is to find the areas of discussion where everybody seems to be in agreement. And this particular report shows from the, the, the mouths of the financial sector professionals themselves that they do see some areas of concern, such as pay pay scales for particular jobs such as stock traders, bond traders, FTSE 100 chief executives, and that they also feel, 70% of them, that teachers are underpaid in this country. So I think what the report does show is a lot of areas of mutual concern where we can start moving forwards in this conversation, bring it into a different form of conversation where it stops being about philosophy, it stops being about rhetoric, and it starts being about change, and it starts being about actual actionable results. Well, certainly a critical mass. Um, what it has done, I think, is to uh, get people a bit out in, more out into the open than they were. Not enough yet, uh, but a bit. I was personally surprised when the encampment started at the level of public and press sympathy that there was. I expected a much greater level of hostility. Um, and I think that indicates that, especially with, um, with the crisis since 2008, and especially with the one we're going through at the moment, that, that people just don't think we've got the answer yet. They, they're apt to say, well, what's your alternative? Uh, you know, do you want to get rid of capitalism or what is it that you, you want? But my own view is that that won't, be, that won't start to emerge until people are free to say, what's going on at the moment is absolutely unacceptable. And that is starting to be said, clearly. Um, I, I think that at the moment my feeling about, about that, the encampment is that a, a lot of very um, committed people have made a very important sacrificial gesture um, that commands our attention. And um, there isn't any question that uh, there's more attention being given to this topic now than there was before there came. And, and that's excellent. If you ask me the question, should it be necessary for people to do that, for that to happen? Well, no, I don't in the best of all possible worlds. But in, we don't live in such a world. And in the world we actually live in, until people make a gesture of that kind, it's very difficult to get something on the map. This report would have existed without the encampment. Um, but I don't think it would have had the energy behind it that it now has. I think that mainly it's nothing about the report. It was about the unprecedented circumstances that we found ourselves in here at the cathedral. And that amongst everything that was going on and things were moving so quickly, we really did think that the report might have gotten lost in amongst all of that. And the existence of the report would have been seen as the issue, not the actual content of the report. So we wanted to wait until a time when we could release the report, when its actual issues would be brought to the front 
And I think actually, in hindsight, today has, has been that time when enough space around what's been going on over the last couple of weeks has been given. And the actual content of this report, which has been in the works for the last few months, can, can be seriously considered and discussed. No, we, we were absolutely certain that what we didn't want to do was change anything that was originally intended to be in the report. As you will actually see, there is a foreword from the former Dean of St Paul's Cathedral, Right Reverend Graham Knowles. There is an introduction from the former Canon Chancellor of St Paul's Cathedral, Giles Fraser. Both of those are included and both of those have their, their job titles as Dean and Canon Chancellor. We very much did not want to change the report because we felt that it can speak for itself and in many ways it is the financial sector speaking for itself. So uh, this is not a response to the camp, but it does allow us to build quite a solid foundation um, for engagement with the camp, with the city, with the wider community on all of these issues now that they are here. Um, I mean, I think the one thing I would say to that is there's a very big difference between things that are obvious and things that we have statistical data for. And so I think that actually providing the response from 515 financial service professionals means that those things which are obvious, now we have data for. Or those things, you know, there's a lot of subtlety and nuance in this report as well, um, which I think deserves a lot of attention. Where do we go with it from here? Well, I mean, I think it, as I said earlier, it opens up a lot of areas of mutual concern in which we can now go to people and say, actually, we have a mandate from the church, we have a mandate from the respondents to this, we have, a, we have a public mandate, we have people outside the cathedral asking for these things, and now we can further the conversation beyond um, you know, the discussions that have been happening in the last couple of years and say we actually need results and we need action, and now we are all on the same page. And, and uh, could I just add, that I, I know why you say um, this is obvious, but I don't think it is so obvious that that is what the financial sector professionals themselves think, uh, at least privately. Because their spokespeople, I mean, if you listen to what you know, leaders of the banking industry or whatever say, uh, don't give you the sense that that's the case. So I don't, some of it might be obvious, but I don't think it's, it's obvious in advance of doing this research that those questions and contradictions are around in the financial sector itself. And if you ask where that might take us, I would like to think that there are an awful lot of churches all around London, many of whose members are workers in the financial sector themselves. I would actually like to encourage uh, clergy and churches to get those people together and say, well, now, what do you think about this? Because I suspect that within churches there is a critical mass of concern and it's time it got more mobilised than it has been. Well, the word disingenuous was your word. I didn't use that. Um, what I'm saying is that inevitably the people who are engaged publicly on behalf of the sector speak as though everything in the sector was fine and you need to defend it. And when they agree to things like the Vickers report on, on uh, the banking industry, 
they do so with some reluctance and a kind of unwillingness to accept further regulation and so forth. You might not suppose from that that many of the people who work in the sector actually have got some quite considerable doubts about it. Well, I mean, it's certainly one of the, that's something that this report gives us more of a mandate to do. And I think the St Paul's Institute program going forwards will respond to the results of this survey and we will be in discussion with people at various different levels um, about what we can do in this and about how we might approach it. So I, I would say yes, it certainly does give us cause, along with everything that's been going on, not only over the last few weeks, but over the last few years, to really take this discussion into the highest levels and say, well, actually, what are we going to do about it now? And also, although it's a coincidence that the report has been published in the middle of the story about the encampment, clearly the encampment now means that we can include protesters themselves in the debate about how this report is taken on, particularly in relation to uh, follow-up questions, answers and debate and action. I'm not sure whether they're here. We have um, handed over five copies. I handed over five printed copies to them today, and we have asked them to put forward two or three people to write responses for our website, and we should be getting them in the next couple of days. I'll also be speaking to them either on Wednesday or Thursday, depending on when they're free, um, about the possible areas in which uh, St Paul's Institute, St Paul's Cathedral, can engage with them. So, yes. <laughs> What I would like to say is that St Paul's Institute itself doesn't actually push a particular agenda. That's not its purpose. The purpose of St Paul's Institute is to create a space in which these discussions can happen within the public eye in a very high level. And so as far as action, I think what I would like to see is people at the highest levels of business, people at the highest levels throughout society, actually getting together, discussing alternatives, discussing options very openly and having that in a public environment and so that we move beyond saying is this right, is this wrong and we say well actually what are the possibilities? I don't think we have enough possibilities on the table yet. We have a lot of people saying what's wrong. I think that the action that needs to happen within the next couple of months is what possibilities do we have moving forwards? And I, I would hesitate to recommend particular actions because I think the situation is so complex and so nuanced that without you know, taking things, not slowly, but taking things in a measured approach, I, I think that any kind of movement forwards can, can just fall flat on its face. But speaking as a Christian for myself, uh, I would have no hesitation in saying that action must include a reduction in the gap between rich and poor. And um, I think uh, and have said, and I'm not saying this is institute policy or anything like that, but if you ask me what I think, um, I think that we have done far too little as churches to look at the place of money in our lives and the golden handcuffs by which we're all held and the fears by which we're all held that are financial fears. And they are at a very high level at this particular moment in time for obvious reasons. People are not expressing those fears yet uh, as much as they well might. Um, so I, I think looking at money is both an economic activity 
and a personal and spiritual activity, and um, that shouldn't surprise us, uh, but we need to get on with it. <laughs>